guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. Hey, you guys, this is Melissa here with a quick note. I just wanted to mention that this episode was recorded before the murder of George Floyd, which is why we do not address his tragic death or the Black Lives Matter protests that have been taking place all over the world. Paul and I wanted to start off by expressing how important it is for everyone to constantly be educating themselves, including him and I. So we did some research and we added a fantastic resource link to the episode description for anyone who's interested in learning how to be a better ally to the black community. As always, the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa podcast absolutely condemns all racism and police brutality toward black people. But to learn more about our stance and the organizations we've donated to, please be sure to check out my last episode called Hashtag Podcast Blackout. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa, episode 41, and I am your host, Melissa, and we are a podcast that celebrates women and wine, and I am super excited to introduce you to our next guest host, Paul Jordan. Hello. (laughs) That was super, that was a super game showy introduction. I know. It was just organically came out that way. <laughs> um, but Paul is here to teach us about one of his favorite ladies tonight on the episode. And um, Paul and I actually met in San Francisco, which I would imagine we had met sometime in the year of 2008. Yeah. Um, not 100% certain on that. Yeah, I can't remember the first time, but I can, t- like, I know my earliest memory of you, because I know I already knew you, May- I'm, but f- for the sake of storytelling, I'm going to say this was the first time I met you. Uh, the first time I met you, I'm pretty sure, was when you and uh, this one mutual friend of ours came up to me and tried to get me to sign a petition to keep your boyfriend from getting evicted from the dorms, um, <laughs> which I'm sure I signed. <laughs> I was literally about to be like, so did you sign it or what? (laughs) (laughs) No, I signed it. I signed it. Um, Yeah, that's the first memory I have of you. And, like, obviously, like, we knew of each other and we were on, like, peripherals of, like, friend groups. But I would, like, I knew you enough through college to know you, if that makes sense. So do you remember why my boyfriend was getting evicted from the dorms? (laughs) Yeah, I just didn't know if I should say it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my boyfriend, um, at the time that I was a freshman in San, Franci- San Francisco State University in the dorms, he was the one of, like, two, maybe even a couple more pretty large-scale weed dealers on campus. <laughs> 
You're, you're regular Pablo Escobar. <laughs> <laughs> Weed, in addition to several other extracurricular um, uppers. But anyway, he eventually <laughs> got caught. I don't actually, I don't even really remember how. Um, and then he got evicted, obviously, but I, being the fantastic girlfriend that I was, literally, like, wrote and print, printed out some type of petition. I have, I wish I still had that. Like, who the fuck knows what kind of obscene things I wrote on that petition. I don't know. It was probably used to roll a joint later. Yeah, and I went door to door in the dorms and I asked people to sign it. And I'm pretty sure, like, every single person signed it because it was San Francisco State and we were all in some capacity assholes, probably doing a lot of insane things. Um, <laughs> I was such a stoner. Uh, I, I was such a stoner. And, like, it's so, it was so outside of this, like, scope of the person I actually was. Like, I don't know. And I want to ask you what your like earliest memory of me is because i had a goatee i was also straight um if you could see by the air quotes <laughs> um i i was like like i thought i was a total stoner like i was the guy in high school like that wore like abercrombie and fitch polo shirts with the collars popped and like always had like like was and i've always been very waspy and very preppy but then, like, I took a year off to wear, like, a pea coat and sweatpants to class and had a nasty goatee <laughs> that didn't connect on the sides. And it was not cute, but I, that was, I guess, I hid my sexuality behind this, like, dirty-looking goatee that, like, had curls. If it makes you feel any better, I honestly have zero recollection of you ever being straight. So... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come out until sophomore year. I feel like my memory of you during the dorm days isn't as prominent as my memory of you later in life when you were your normal blossoming Paul self. (laughs) Yep. But, um, yeah, some wild times back in the day. I love, I love that that's the first memory you have of me. I think it's honestly a very honest, genuine depiction of not only who I was at 18 years old, but honestly probably still (laughs) who I am today. I have no doubt that I would still be petitioning on the streets. Well, no, it would just be on change.org. And our our social media feeds would just be inundated with, please get my loser boyfriend (laughs) to not be evicted, which she completely should have been. Oh, and also, for the record, in case people were wondering, he did, as I mentioned, get evicted, but then I actually moved him back into the dorms, and he lived on a mattress on the floor in (laughs) another person's dorm room that I moved into also. So, Which is what every parent wants when they send their daughter off to college. So, anyway, he finished out his college year, and he had somewhere to live, so I'd say I did a pretty decent job at my petitioning. <laughs> All right, so, COVID-19, it's happening. It's, it's been months now. Um, any crazy updates on your end? How are you doing? What have you been up to? What's happening? Um, oh, you know, I've just been having a very mentally healthy time. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. So I live alone in San Francisco, and I'm a very social person. Like, I'm definitely pretty extroverted, but it was like this or, like, 
go to one of my like sisters or my mom's house and like my mom is at risk for like covid um because she's older but she'd also be at risk because i don't know if she and i would survive me living with her for three months <laughs> i love her she's one of my heroes and she's actually one of the reasons i actually am really in and love and respect what you're doing on this podcast like my mom's absolutely amazing she was leaning in before it was a term that was coined but that doesn't change the fact that she's my mother and i would like just too long but it's but I'm very fortunate to like still be working I work remotely it's very interesting going into like uh, meetings when I've literally rolled out of bed like 20 minutes before 20 minutes is generous but like at the same time it's it's been it's been interesting and I, I had a birthday I had my 31st birthday so like any true, uh, you know, I do, as you know, like I do a little bit of stand up comedy on the side, and like as any true narcissistic comedian does, I had a 15 minute like comedy special uh, on Zoom. Yes. Which, so it was, it, it was fun. It was fun. Um, but like beyond that, like, I, like I've been trying to like stay, like I stay busy with work. I like, I work for a fitness company, and so, like, staying, like, active is really important to me, but I also, like, need the sun, so, like, I need to, like, I'm way too pale for, like, what I, like, deem as acceptable, <laughs> but things can be way worse, <laughs> so. They really can. It's pretty strange, because I literally go through, like, roller coasters of emotions, where a couple weeks I'm, like, fucking killing the game, feeling inspired, totally motivated, and then I have these, like, full-blown mental breakdowns where I'm like, I need to go home and be alone and cry in my house, and I'm like, I'm back, I'm rejuvenated, let's do this, and then it's just, like, this ongoing cycle of, like, me having these, like, minor meltdowns. (laughs) I know, okay, and I'm not gonna lie, I've broken the rules a couple of times when I've gone over to a friend's house here and there but i feel like i'm like driving with like a dead body in my trunk being like okay i have to be ready for a story if i get like pulled over i need to like make sure that nothing like okay what story am i gonna tell the cops this time one time the very first time i did it this is a 100 percent true story <laughs> the very first time i did it, it was a few weeks into quarantine and i was like f this i have to like like be around a person like i so i went over to my buddy's house and on the way i stopped at a grocery store and bought olive oil made sure to get my receipt so that i had like a time stamped receipt that like if i got pulled over and then i like that i could be like oh i'm picking up this uh like this olive oil um and it, it like i just freaked out way too much and then i got to my friend's house and they're like please don't come over again if you're if if you're gonna freak out this much but it's it was like i that's like the 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 difficult part though is like not being around people like i'm very very close with like abnormally close with my family to where i talk to my mom and my sisters like multiple times throughout the day and like I, you know, being around them is, is tough. And I also hear you. And like, had I a boyfriend that I could go quarantine with, like, I would absolutely (laughs) be there. The fucking Corona. Well, you had already previously mentioned that you are into stand-up comedy. So fucking Mm -hmm. tell us all about that. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
so as I don't think you remember, but I went to school for a musical theater. And so I've been acting and singing for a very, very long time, uh, most of my life. And I, uh, after college, I ended up going the career route because I realized halfway through college, the whole starving artist thing didn't appeal to me. Um, <laughs> and realized, really realized, I'm like, oh, you're not bound for Broadway. But we, but I had always had an interest in stand-up comedy. I do, like, I will, like, sing, like, here and there, like, at, like, fundraisers and, like, small cabarets and stuff. But uh, I'd always wanted to do stand-up comedy, but I was always really intimidated by it. And so I finally, I went through, like, a really bad breakup in 2016, 2017. And I was like, you know what? F it. I'm just going to do it. So I did it. And I, like, have, like, I fall in love with it. Like, the thing is, is it's definitely something you have to be consistently doing. So, like, mm-hmm. I, but I enjoy just going to open mics and doing smaller scales. I, like, did book my first, like, comedy show uh, for April 4th, like, right before this happened. So, it's, again, just another example about how, like, your God has a sense of humor. But, um, he, but it has allowed me to really get a lot of stuff like off my chest. I've always loved stand-up comedy. I've always loved performing. So it's a great way for me to scratch that itch and like being able to go like on stage. And I like to think I'm funny. Um, I love it. I mean, it's something I would love to pursue full time, but I will be honest. Like it's just, um, I just, prefer security and like and i'd rather do stuff small scale and like that's why like even after college i realized like halfway through school like i still you know finished my theater degree but i was working at the time and i turned it into a career um but even before college ended and like i but the problem the double-edged sword of that is that i gave up kind of on a passion like i took myself to london Mm. for um for like uh to find myself or something and i (laughs) i saw nine to five the musical which is part of the reason i went out there um and i um was crying afterwards about like like i gave up on my dream i would have been so much better than these guys in the chorus partially because they didn't respond to my dms uh but they oh my god <laughs> and then i saw like a few shows when i was there and then on the last night i saw matilda the musical i drank way too much and i called my mom afterwards and started yelling at her for not being a stage mom <laughs> oh my god <laughs> So I was like, do you know where I could have been? Do you know where I could have been today if you had driven me to rehearsal? (laughs) Like, we all find ways to blame our moms for everything. (laughs) If anything about COVID is teaching us something, is like, if you want to do something, just do it. Like, granted, who knows when we're going to be able to do it, but, like, still go and do it. Like, the hardest part of, like the hardest part of getting up on stage and is again not to quote nike but just do it like just do it so stupid (laughs) so stupid oh my god well on that note we should get into the wine review because we have been we we talk a lot the fuck away (laughs) (laughs) i 
no. Oh, gosh. So many edits. So I'll tell you what I'm drinking tonight. So I am picking up... So I, I go to this little fucking liquor store down the street that I walk to to get my you know, 3,000 steps of the day under quarantine. Um, And Mm. they actually have a pretty solid uh, wine collection. But today I'm drinking a Pinot Noir. It's a 2017 California Pinot Noir. And it's called Cycles Gladiator. And as usual, I pick all of my wines based off their label. And this label is pretty cute. Oh, that's really cool. It's like a naked redheaded lady who's like flying through the air but like holding on to a bike <laughs> yeah no and she's like like if you could see it like it's a bike but she's like like just she's just holding on to the handlebars for dear life and then just doing like a back bend like behind it <laughs> yeah. and like this beautiful wavy hair i would love to see someone like re- try to recreate that on tiktok that would be freaking cool um, but this is actually super bomb. I, I've never heard of Cycles Gladiator b- before, but they were like, for liquor store prices, you know, a mid-shelf $13 bottle wine. Um, it's super bomb. It's Well, Pinot Noirs are typically my favorite red anyway, so I usually just go for them because I know I like them. But it's very mellow. It's... Um, you know, it's not super tanniny. It's not super sweet either. It's kind of just like your everyday Pinot that you would want to drink. That's just like easy to drink, makes you smile. Yeah, it, it's just fucking the shit. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to be buying this again. And if you couldn't tell, I'm like already halfway down this bottle. <laughs> well, that's why I bought I two mean... of mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's so smart. Yeah, I mean, we're only in the intro, and I've drinking half the bottle, so this thing's gonna be gone in, the, like, the next hour. Also, okay, tannins, tannins, I love, like, white people in their tannins. With our tannins. Listen, I'm super bougie, because I worked at a restaurant in Sausalito, and I served wine to multi-billionaires, and those motherfuckers would ask me about the goddamn tannins in all the reds that they'd order. <laughs> so you know what? <laughs> I learned right. that tannins are a fucking thing people care about. Um, and I also know that I hate tannins, which is why I typically don't enjoy cabs. But oh, these well, Pinot Noirs, like very light in the tannin. Oh, yeah. Well, no, for, like, for me, like, I've been drinking a lot of, like, white and, like, lighter wines because like red wine like like dental offices are closed like i'm not like i need to (laughs) like keep my teeth as white as possible um but no and like and that's the thing about like california and like and you know this about living like in san francisco like everyone's just like an expert about wine everyone's just like meh meh, meh, hint of the hint of this and i'm just like well you know i actually but i do enjoy like really nice glasses of wine like i do like going wine tasting um may i talk about my wine now yeah mine is not upscale at all so mine is called california roots um and if you can look at that label there it's very 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 cute it's like myself it's like a bmw with a salvage (laughs) title um beautiful but i've been fucking wrecked um but california roots is it's actually really nice. I bought it at 
I buy I buy it. It's been my like COVID like coping. I buy their rose. I'm drink which I'm drinking their California Roots rose, um, and I drink their Sauvignon Blanc. I like my wine very like crisp and like very like dry, especially if it's like white. And I like like Pinot Noir. I do like Cab. If I'm drinking like a st- or drinking a steak, eating a steak, but um, California Roots is five motherfucking dollars even at target at target fuck yeah fucking target five dollars five dollars i bought it one time and i was like i'm not telling any of my friends um (laughs) that i bought a five dollar bottle of wine and now i'm just like you know what like this is this wine is like the forever 21 like you have to i'm sure you have to drink it quickly because it probably unravels. Oh my god, but that's amazing. Long story short, long story short, I'm sure it's like a two buck check kind of deal where they just take uh, uh, grapes from other wineries. But regardless, California roots are not just bad ombre dyes. It's a great bottle of wine. Fuck yes. And I've literally just been talking about needing more rosé suggestions. So now that I know that there's a $5 rosé at Target... I'm going to be on that shit. All right. It's time. Are you ready? I'm ready. The woman that I brought in a figurative sense today, um, she is a little bit of a controversial figure in a lot of ways. Um, But, uh, so I had touched on, you know, me doing stand-up. I thought about, like, some other people I wanted to do, like, in the gay community, but it just, a lot of it just kept turning depressing. And this one will, like, maybe turn a little bit depressing in certain ways, but I, one of the things that I noticed uh, when I go to these open mics and when I'm watching stand-up comedy is that I can spend hours scrolling through Netflix finding female comedians. And Adam Carolla is one of the most disgusting creatures ever for saying women aren't funny. I think women are way fucking funnier than men. And it, and one of the, like, especially because it comes from, they do take it, like, I feel like they take a stigma of, like, women shouldn't say this. And so they, um, and then when they do, it's just that much more outrageous and it's so polarizing. And I think it's brilliant. Like, for me, I, you know, tried to portray myself in my stand-up that, you know, I am this, like, nice, wholesome guy, but then I'll say things that are completely out of left field, and I think a lot of that has been inspired by the women that that I I see in comedy. Now, there are so many... You you look at today, you look at, like, Amy Schumer, Chelsea Handler, Nikki Glaser, you look at Yamanika Sanders, I, you know, there's... Saunders, I, there's so many wonderful women comedians out there. And a lot of them wouldn't be here, you know, or not, not that they wouldn't be here, but there was a comedian that, you know, paved the way. Ironically, this woman has, has a quote. I don't, I tried to find the exact quote, um, but she had a quote where people, she's a comedian and she had, People come up and say, you know, you've paved the way for women, pay for the way for women. And she's like, fuck you, fuck you. I'm still paving the I'm still paving the way and opening the doors for myself. So don't give me that shit. 
I am, of course, talking about Miss Joan Rivers. Yes! That's so great! Oh my god, yes! This is so good! And it, but the thing is, is like, she's also like, of course she rips people down and like, and she made a lot of a career of ripping and on other people. But at the same time, she, she was such a good person and she also did a lot for her family. And a lot of it, while a lot of her career was self-motivated, in fact, she referred to her daughter, Melissa said that they were she referred to it as the career within the family. So like within their family unit, they just referred to it as the career. So it, she to her, Melissa did say like, I almost felt like I had a sibling with this mm-hmm. career, but Joan Rivers. And I learned a lot of this through um, a piece of work, uh, which was a documentary that uh, she did in 2010, I believe. Um, and then just other, other research, but which she, did she made a very big point of making sure that Melissa had a family environment like especially because what happened with the dad is super fucking tragic that I did a lot of this stuff before I started really looking into it I had no idea um how like amazing of a and I knew she was an amazing woman but as amazing in the fact that she's had so many shitty things happen to her throughout her life and throughout her upbringing that like I just think it's it's amazing and whether or not she wanted to be that person that pioneered for people like Kathy Griffin for you know Amy, for people for these women to be able to be up and coming in comedy she mm-hmm. still did and like it's you know, women are still given such a hard time in comedy, and it makes me absolutely sick. Kathy Griffin, her whole thing, I have mixed feelings on... <gasps> you, do you remember that? Where she posted that picture oh, yeah. of her with a... <laughs> if anything, like, my thought about it was, girl, girl, what you did for the Democrats <laughs> is more detrimental than anything what, else. What did she, it was Trump related, right? What was she like dead or yeah, something? She, yeah, she, no, she posted a picture of him with a severed head. <laughs> yes! But the fallout, but the fallout of that, she had, she was fucking checked in, like, she was held at airports for days as like a terrorist because they were investigating her as a terrorist. Oh. Her sister, who is dying of cancer got death threats up until the day she died kathy griffin's career was over her friendships with anderson cooper and andy cohen like which is a friend group i really want to have like one day but she lost all of these connections she lost all of these tours because she was a woman who did something i thought i think as a democrat it was dumb because it's like okay come on like you're just giving the right more fodder but at the same time as a comedian yeah she should be able to say that and make you know it was a fucking joke but louis ck can jerk off in front of a whole bunch of people and like okay he's just kind of blacklisted not to the extent that kathy griffin was where she's maybe just now beginning to build her career and like there is so much sexism within the stand-up within comedy um that you know i still go to open mics where the 
there will be gags about how women aren't funny. And I'm like, well, you can't pay your rent. Like, your name is fucking Sasquatch. Your stage name is Sasquatch, and you are living out of your 92 Toyota Celica. Like, like women aren't funny just because they won't, like, touch you. Like, I, oh, I could rip in. I could go in for a long time. But, regardless, this woman paved the way. In doing so, she also made a lot of really fucked up jokes um, towards other women. Like, you know, I don't think we that we can, like, deny that, you know, she's said some, you know, pretty, you know, awful things. Like, one of her jokes about Liz Taylor was, Liz told me she ate something that disagreed with her. Kansas. Oh! <laughs> like, that's not... <laughs> Like, that's not exactly progressive. And she obviously had, you know, all the plastic surgery stuff, and Mm -hmm. a lot of it was image-focused, but a lot of that stuff, from what you learn about her, is actually impressed upon her. But she became an advocate for... So she started realizing that, you know, as an older woman, and she wanted to build her career, which she saw as an industry, she became an advocate for it after doing it herself and then she became the poster woman for it and then she became the joke for it and that's what she talks about in her in her documentary uh but people get plastic surgery and you know she's like it's okay if you want to do it if you want to do stuff like that that's your that's your prerogative i i don't think that she like when i look at the stuff i've read and stuff i remember about her is that it wasn't that she was an advocate like you should be doing this it's if you do do this it's okay she but she did it and she owned it and she owned how ridiculous it was too like a lot of her jokes were very um you know unlike they were very controversial like one of her first jokes that she said um that was considered like wild where people were like you shouldn't like she got off the stage and people were like you're not going to make it if you do this it was uh, this business is about casting couches. And all I have to say about that is my name is Joan Rivers and I put out. And like, <laughs> but all of it, all of like a lot of comedians and, and you make self self deprecating jokes. Um, and then you get to make fun of other people. Is not like, right. Like, for me, most of my humor is absolutely self-deprecating. Like, I've always thought, make fun of yourself before someone else can. But, all right, so let me get kind of into her life. So she's, uh, so she's from New York, originally, as you're shocked, I'm sure, to, to know. She's R- Russian Jewish. Um, so she was actually born... Um, so Joan Rivers is a stage name. She was born Joan Alexandra Malinsky. Joan Rivers came from a talent agent that she had who his last name was Rivers. And he's like, uh, your name's not going to work. And so she's like, okay, Joan Rivers. Just very, you know, and and it stuck. So she started out and I, she got into like kind of theater in high school. One of the biggest things about her is that she was an actress and she looks at herself as an actress even though she was a comedian she said i'm an actress who's playing a comedian and she had a show back i'm probably jumping around a a little bit but she had a show uh an off-broadway show that it was a one-woman show about her life that she was trying to produce 
and she wouldn't take it to New York because the reviews weren't strong enough to where she couldn't put be put through people telling her that she was an awful actress. And this is like in 2010, so like this is she's old at that point. At that <laughs> point, and um, but she but she's a Tony Award winner. Like she got her start like kind of like doing like Broadway and off Broadway stuff. Like so she but she went to college to be an actress. And then kind of fell into comedy and fell into being a comedy writer. Mm -hmm. She sends so much shit that it makes my head spin trying to, like, even look through some of my notes. So, like, I'm sure there's stuff that I'm going to glaze over. But she was basically... So she's a stand-up comedian. And then the big thing that happens is she starts... uh, She gets landed on uh, The Tonight Show with, with Johnny Carson. She's like, and she's originally billed as like an actor, or as an actor, as a writer, and it eventually becomes the the guest host. She meets her husband, um, kind of early on in that time. I Melissa Rivers' father, his name's Edgar. She'd been married once before, but eh. um, it didn't work yeah. out, obviously. Um, but she met Edgar. <laughs> she met Edgar as he, like he was looking for a writer for something, and Johnny Carson was like, "Oh, uh, we just brought on this like female writer for something. You, you should look at her." They were fucking married four days later. What? Like, were they complete strangers? Yeah, enough. I got like, yeah. Not like strangers enough to where four days is wildly inappropriate. <laughs> oh, four my God. fucking days! It takes me four days to get a text back. <laughs> right? That is crazy. <laughs> so she also said that she never really loved him, but the marriage was doable. So, like a lot of her stand-up material, um, you know, I wouldn't say that they had the blessed like marriage that you know people talk about but but she was happy enough and she loved she did love him um but anyway so she's doing the johnny carson show she's doing all of this shit like appearing on others she was very big on like the late night like talk show circuit because she was i mean she was a comedian right uh and you know she also she wrote what i think is so funny so in the like early 70s she wrote this made for tv movie she did a lot of like weird made for tv movies but she wrote this one it was a black comedy with stockard channing um rizzo from the original greece no what is her name stockard channing Grease was the first musical i ever did um but so it holds a special <laughs> place in my heart uh, but Stockard, like her playing like Rizzo in Greece, she's thirty. Like it's like a never been kissed kind of like vibe <laughs> that you're looking at. Uh, anyway, uh, but Stockard Channing, she plays um, this ugly woman who undergoes plastic surgery, and it's kind of semi loosely based on Jenner versus life. So she, her mom, she grew up with her mom, and always told her like looks don't count. Like, it was, um, you know, and she and other female comedians a lot of times will talk about, like, uh, I know Amy Schumer talks about this a lot, about, like, funny girls and pretty girls. Like, most female comedians are not terribly pretty. And it's, it is so sad because there are beautiful female comedians and uh, it's just, it, it sucks that it's, you know, seen that it, it's this 
like you have to be one or the other but like there is also something to be said for you know yeah there are people that are i can speak about this as you know like within gay men there are gay guys that are super hot you talk to them and it's like talking to a brick in the wall granted it's a a brick wall you're trying to like throw yourself into until you have a concussion (laughs) but it's but you know she kind of you know she always focused it on her talent and that was you know what, what she always did so she so she marries edgar um, then she, so she was, uh, this writer on the Johnny Carson show, and then she becomes, like, co-host, like, permanent guest. And then Fox News, because they always have to come in and fuck shit up, Fox News comes in and they offer her, uh, it's called The Late, The Late Show Starring Joan Rivers. And it's her own late night show. She Fuck calls yeah. Johnny huge. Carson. She calls Johnny Carson, being like, "Hey, so this just happened. Supposedly, like maybe like, the network had told him about it before she did, but this petty bitch, he hung up on her and never spoke to her again. He had been on the Tonight Show. It was she had been on the Tonight Show for like twenty years. What? And he never spoke to her again. She was not." allowed on nbc late night for like ever until like 2014 in fact jay leno and conan o'brien both held up her ban on that show until jimmy motherfucking fallon he was pissed that like well because she became a competitor her show her show became a competitor and, so wait, and you she said admitted, Jimmy Fallon was the first one? Jimmy Fallon, when he became the host, he he took her, he had her on as a guest and like on his first fucking night, I think. <laughs> I think it was his first night. And like, Jimmy Fallon's such a good guy. He's such a good guy. He's um, like one of those like low-key hotties too. I know. Like, if, he turned, if he gets me too if he gets you know. me too <laughs> I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> so heartbreaking. <laughs> Because he is so cute. He is so cute. Um, but anyway, so she... So that whole stuff happens. Uh, the show... <laughs> surprise, surprise. doesn't work out. Um, and then the network... Some other stuff happens. And they call Joan Rivers. And they're like, Okay, well, you need to fire your husband. Or Her husband was also like in the industry somehow. Or like, we're, we're letting him go. And she's like, No, I'm not doing this. And then they fire basically both of them. This is where it gets sad. Um, it's I've heard two different stories that she asked for the separation first, or he asked for the separation first. But basically, he like does not take this news well, um, and he like disappears for a while. Ultimately, he ends up killing himself. Oh, I yeah, did not so, know that. So, yeah, a lot of this shit, when I started looking into Joan Rivers, I'm like, oh my god. But also, comedians are tormented souls, <laughs> speaking from yep. experience. But, but they, <laughs> but she, <laughs> but, you know, people go through shit, and it, this is their way, their, their way of coping. Joan Rivers would later go on to have her own suicidal thoughts i mean she grew up as a mm-hmm. woman who was told like you're not pretty you're not pretty but she 
called her, she very early on in her career was told, you are going to be an industry. If you want to be successful, you have to look at yourself as an industry. And so anyway, so she ends up doing, or the, the husband passes away. Oh, the, it's unclear. I, I had mentioned this earlier and it's unclear whether or not she asked him for a separation or if he asked her for a separation, and then four days later, she the, he um, committed suicide. She admitted to having multiple multiple affairs um, because they just weren't in love. She's like, I lo- mm-hmm. like one of those like, I love you, but I'm not in love. Mm-hmm. Paul, we should have an open relationship. Kind of, you know, deals. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, and. <laughs> But she, but she, you know, but she couldn't wait to be a mother. Basically, that was her biggest thing was being a mother to Melissa Rivers. Like Melissa Rivers talks a lot about like she made it very normal, like that you know that as much as she could. Yes, she was an absent mother. Regardless, Melissa wants to go into career into into show business. Um, and Joan was always very like very very hesitant about it one of the first things that they did and this is super fucked up they did a dvd movie where they played themselves and they were addressing their husband's suicide so like it may look like they were yeah it was i'm sure it was some it was like on it was on like lifetime or something i'm sure tori spelling had some sort of part in it but it was uh, crazy but it helped them like these people like when you grow up in this limelight i would imagine that this is your therapy like you have to go through these like i have always wondered like do you have to go through these things publicly to actually get through them or will going through stuff privately not in front of a camera will that Mm -hmm. suffice all right, but anyway, um, so middle, middle, middle. We're now we're in the nineties. Uh, she's doing shit with the, with QVC, and then she uh, starts doing e's like, um, like pre award shows. So she and her daughter basically invented the um, pre awards shows about like the you know one of her like biggest quotes is who who you're wearing, who are you wearing, uh-huh. and that was you know her her big claim to fame she eventually becomes the you know uh ambassador or not the ambassador she ends up becoming the host of like fashion police and that's like a big part of you know her controversy right like in the i would imagine in the you know like i consider myself a feminist but like in the feminist realm uh, when you look at Joan Rivers like yeah she spent a lot of her career tearing women down but she also spent a lot of her time tearing herself down and I think mm-hmm. she was like an equal opportunity offender. Um, well, what are your What are your like, thoughts there? Well, I, that's what I was gonna say. I think like part of one being her being a comedian, two being the fact that like, um, as a woman being a comedian and being like in a humorous atmosphere, like it is a vi- you yourself are a very easy platform to like create jokes off of. I definitely do it on myself constantly. Um, but I feel like when when you are a woman as a comedian and, you know, you get a lot of 
uh, traction out of like cracking jokes off yourself, it's only natural to then kind of extend that into just all women in general. So I feel like it's just she is all women. Well, that's a lot of her her shtick was that she was talking about like marriage and she was making abortion jokes back when it like like not that abortion jokes are okay to make now, but like she was make when you didn't even say the word abortion and you know did a lot of really stuff that was just considered you know career ending like so in that documentary that i watched about her she um has a moment where she's at a a stand-up show and she starts making jokes about deaf people i I believe it's deaf maybe it's blind deaf or blind and then this heckler in the audience goes um my son is you know deaf or blind and she rips she's like shut the fuck up she's like shut the fuck up my my mother is is deaf and i'm i'm gonna make these fucking jokes you need to learn how to chill the fuck out and like rips him like a new asshole and then continues to to make the joke and while like yeah some of that's really heartless and really uncomfortable and really fucked up I, again, go back to, like, the darkest times that I've had in my life, like, that I've gotten through them by making jokes about them. And, yes, there's a time and a place, and you can't, you know, you have, like, if you're ever going to make an inappropriate joke, you have to be smart about it, and you have to be crafty. Like, and you, it has to make sense. It can't just be vulgarity for vulgarity's sake. So. Yep. But. True that. But anyway. But anyhow, so she, you know, continues to do all that. She has multiple shows. Um, she like she like she's an, a Tony Award winner. She was an HIV AIDS activist. She did a whole bunch of stuff. Now you want the real like 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 wig pull like wig drop? She's a, she was a Republican. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Does she talk? But, Does she ever talk about that in her stand-up comedy? Not really, but she, like, performed at the Re- Republican National Convention. When she died, Nancy Reagan referred to her as one of her favorite people, which, that's very confusing. Yes, <laughs> Nancy Reagan. Like, did you listen to her? But I used to always be called the gay Republican. Like, I... I look at it now, like, she died in 2014. Um, it would be very... I, oh, God, I wish... I would love to hear what she had to say about Donald Trump and everything. Because she was... she was, And she won Celebrity Apprentice um, on it one time, but she left for a few episodes because her daughter was fired on air oh, and she shit. got pissed. Oh, yeah, she, like had her daughter's back like she is like the kind of mom where if you're like hey mom i killed someone i need you to help me hide the body she'd be like (sighs) where are you where are you (laughs) the best kind of mom like uh yeah no but so and then ultimately she passes away in 2014 um she passes away uh, while she's in the middle of a procedure. It's a throat procedure. Um, but, so there's not, of course, there's speculation that it was cosmetic, like it was a cosmetic mm-hmm. procedure, but it, from everything I've read, it was actually like an actual procedure that needed to be done. But regardless, um, 
the doctors did not take character care of her, didn't notice her vital signs, and she ultimately uh, passed away. Um, Melissa Rivers won a lawsuit against that hospital, where the hospital actually they admitted fault of not um, oh, no. uh, taking care of everything, everything correctly. Oh, that's so sad. But her legacy lives on. She is a cultural icon and you know she talked a lot of shit about people but she also talked i feel like as much shit she talked about other people she talked just as much about herself and you know i think female comedians need there needs to be more talk about how it's not happening as much like go on netflix go on netflix and just go through like a stand-up section and see how long it takes for you to get to a woman. For me, I watch a lot of female stand-up comedy, so like the algorithm, of course, would show more. Yeah. And it's just, and it's, it's and it's, it's just, pretty and, weak. and it's annoying. And I, I mean, I always like. Don't get me wrong. I'm a cisgendered white guy. Gay doesn't mean anything anymore. Like, I, I and so like, I, I don't want to say that I'm contributing to the problem because I love stand-up, and I'm not gonna not not going to stop doing it but you know i think just starting those conversations starting the conversation about okay why are female comedians not getting as much visibility when you have like these standout female comedians are absolutely amazing and these other dudes are, are are a dime a dozen not saying that not discounting their talent or anything because obviously they're very talented and there are a lot of male comedians that i respect and I'm not never going to try to become a professional comedian, but I think that, you know, there's that stigma that, you know, women aren't funny when I think women are fucking funnier than, than men. That's Joan. That's Joan Rivers. Love it. I'm so fucking stoked that you covered her, partly because we have not had, we've only had like two somewhat comedians. Um, we Hmm. had, rebel wilson who's not like technically a comedian but she's funny as fuck and then we had carol burnett who's like the queen of the queen of the queen of like the comedians and also the broadway and just all of it um that's where jennifer has got one of her early starts was actually on the carol carol burnett show that was one of the things i skipped over but fuck yeah um, we've needed more of them, so I'm super hopey, or happy that you covered Joan, but also I'm super stoked that you covered her because, like you said, she's somewhat controversial, um, and I actually am covering a comfort- controversial person tonight as well. Ooh. Ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so it works. Wonderful. So Zodiac signs. I do, I don't know, like, what your thoughts are on them or how much you know about them, but I tend to know quite a bit, and I happen to be a large fan. And so, for me, it's always kind of fun to hear somebody's, like, whole life story or at least somewhat of their story and try to, like, guess what it is. So, I could be totally off and totally wrong, but while I listen to stories, I do start to analyze it, and I do have a couple of guesses, and yours is <laughs> so basic i love this <laughs> so much my first guess is that i think she might be a gemini girl yeah she is a gemini <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 <laughs> 
see, this is why I do what I do, because I'm fucking right almost every time. Okay, because like, I know a few of the signs and what they mean. Um, funnily enough, I have... Both of my sisters have twins, but one of my sisters, her set of twins are Geminis, which I know are the twins, but I'd love to hear what, 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 what brought you to this conclusion. Um, honestly, like, it really is more so an evaluation of, like, I know almost every other sign wouldn't have been her, so then it boils down to, like, the couple that could be her, and then I think between all of those, and I'm like, she's for sure a Gemini, but I think mainly... The biggest giveaway for me is that, like, she just straight up did not give a flying motherfucking fuck about what anybody thought about her. Like, she just went for it, full fucking send, whatever, and, like, whatever, you know, she just dealt with the consequences, and if that meant that people thought she was a bitch or a crazy person, she just took it and rolled with it, and that was just the way it was, and I feel like... (laughs) Geminis have like that tendency where they they're just kind of they're just so them and they're so unapologetically them that yeah. it's that's just the way it is. Sorry, bros. All right, I'm up and I'm super excited for this one. I'm covering somebody tonight who you absolutely know and who everybody for the most part knows in if they're in our age group. Um, But she's also somewhat controversial. And for me, so we've had, we've had episodes before where we like covered controversial women. And like, for me, I don't think of her as controversial. And I think what I want to do today is talk about, you know, all the crazy shit she's done, but also really focus heavily on like how there's been a large misconception about who she is and kind of get Mm -hmm. into like how that happened and why. So... You're not about to do Melania, are you? (laughs) No, fuck no. Okay, not on that level of controversial. We're we're several steps below that. (laughs) Oh my god, definitely. I don't know that Melania will ever make it on this podcast. I mean, I just, I don't think I can. But I'm doing somebody much more likable and somebody that people, for the most part, very much praise and love. And this woman's name is Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Oh, yes. <laughs> Who you and everybody else probably knows as the singer and rapper of the 90s girl group TLC who has often been considered the crazy one of the group, but in my perspective and a lot of other people's perspective, she was really more of just, like, the badass bitch boss of the group. And the story I'm going to tell you about her life and how it started and how it ended, I think will really reveal, you know, things about her that maybe the media didn't really touch on when they were kind of fucking with her reputation. So. I, I don't know so how much. much you know about Lisa Left Eye Lopez, but the story is wild. So fucking sit back with that wine and get ready <laughs> to be my oh, blown. Strapped. Oh, I'm strapped in. I'm strapped in. <laughs> All right. So Lisa was born in 1971 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And at four years old, she started to play her toy keyboard and already was composing her own songs. 
And by 10 years old, she formed her first musical trio, which was called the Lopez Kids. And it was her and her two siblings, and they sang gospel songs at local events and churches. Um, But Lisa grew up in a very strange environment because she had like a military sergeant father, and he pretty much operated their household like it was the army. So he was super fucking strict. He literally would like call drill sergeants and have them all line up and they'd have to like stand like, you know, toy soldiers and he'd like pace back and forth like you see in the movies while he's interrogating them about things they did. It was gnarly. And so she was for the most part like basically grounded her entire life while she was, you know, living under the roof of her parents. I feel like a great way to like fuck children up is to like be a military parent or to be like a pastor parent i feel like the best ones of us are the ones with like like normal responsible enough parents (laughs) you know what i mean i mean the minute that you like the minute that you constrict people into this confined box that they have to be in at all times, perfect, every day, nonstop, all day long, when they're at an age where they're supposed to be developing and growing and learning and experiencing, like, you're lit, you're doing the complete opposite of what a child needs to, like, develop an identity and, like, be a confident human. You're doing, you're just, you're literally fucking yeah. them up <laughs> at the most vulnerable 100%. part of their development. And that's what he did. And so, aside from him being this, like, psycho sergeant father, he was also, like, very much abusive towards their mom. And it it included Mm -hmm. screaming, fights, as well as, obviously, physical violence. And so, they eventually broke up, and the kids ended up living with their paternal grandmother. So, their dad's mom. And she was equally as insane as their father was, if not worse, (laughs) in other ways. (laughs) The apple fell far from the tree. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Lisa, as an adult, claimed that her childhood under her grandmother's watch was very much, like, similar to like experiencing gaslighting at all times her grandma played Mm. like a lot of mind games on them fucked with them a lot like not in like violent ways but like you know those low-key subtle like psychological like jabs just like here and there just like keep them on edge all the time so that wasn't good either and then on top of all of this her fucking dad being like the strict of the strict of the army surgeons actually like promoted underage drinking in the house with his kids so he would like come home with cases of beer like serve the young adolescent kids alcohol and then like get entertainment out of watching them like be drunk and goofing around the house (laughs) i'm not a i'm not a regular (laughs) military dad i'm a cool (laughs) military dad (laughs) right exactly so i mean i couldn't imagine like how strange of like a dynamic this would be to have like the strictest dad on the fucking planet with a psycho grandma and then being like drink alcohol and let's party it's like what is this i'm not even understanding what's going on so needless to say this definitely kick-started the large alcohol related issues lisa would later face in her adult life 
Um, but when she was 17 years old, she ultimately left home and took off to Atlanta, Georgia with $750 in her wallet so that she could go to an open casting call for a upcoming girl group. So obviously she landed the spot. Can you can you just like flash back to like when people are like and like Madonna went off to New York with like thirty five dollars in her like I'm like that won't get me lunch like in San Francisco right insane and she actually even only had the seven hundred and fifty dollars because she because she had recently won it in like a dance competition or some type of thing she'd done so she won this competition (laughs) got her money took off to atlanta and was like i'm signing up to try and be in this girl group so she got the gig obviously and um this developed into tlc and her other bandmates were tion Watkins, otherwise known as T-Boss, uh, Rosanda, whose last name I failed to write down, who we know is Chili. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Lisa's nickname was Left Eye, and she would rep her nickname by wearing a pair of glasses with the right lens covered by a condom. She'd have a black stripe under her left eye and a piercing in her left eyebrow. So, the group became an immediate hit. They had bright, baggy clothing, and they had sexually progressive music lyrics. And Lisa was the rapper and pretty much the hip-hop voice of TLC. She also helped, in, like, create that empowered woman image. T-Boss was known at, for her unique vocals, and Chili was known for her dancing and choreography. So, they were all very unique in their own ways, but as a group, they definitely created, like, the most ultimate badass chick band that, like, for the most part, existed in that time period. Um, so their first album was called Ooh on the TLC Tip, and it had four <laughs> hits. Wait, 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 wait. What was it called? One more time. Ooh on the TLC Tip. <laughs> I swear to God, that's what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I just loved your inflection. <laughs> And it was a hit with four singles, and it sold six million copies worldwide. And then two years later, Crazy Sexy Cool was released, which sold more than 23 million copies worldwide. And it featured our favorite hits, known as Creep, Red Light Special, and A Wada Falls. So, Lisa's professional life was booming, obviously, but her personal life was literally on the verge of crashing and burning, which was largely due to her terrible relationship with the biggest prick football player known as Andre Rison, I think is his Ugh. name. So she was 22 years old when they met, and she was like instantly captivated by him and completely consumed by their relationship. And this is the type of guy that when he took her home the first time ever to bang it out dirty style she walked into his full-blown mansion and was like why the fuck are like all of the rooms empty like what the fuck you have a enormous mansion there's nothing anywhere like do you live here and his response was like girl i've been waiting for someone like you to come by and help furnish it and it's just like boom she folded was done moved in fucking fairy tale until the house burned down like 
It's healthy. That was he was that kind of guy that like just had lines and like smooth talking and just was he just was Andre, I guess. So she claimed that he was super romantic. He had like the best friend vibe, but he was extremely protective, if not borderline possessive, and he was also super jealous. So on top of all of those fantastic qualities in a boyfriend, he cheated on her. Like, I'm pretty sure regularly, but the one that we have proof of is the one that she walked in on and witnessed herself when she found his ass butt naked in the guest bedroom with some hoe diggity hiding in the closet wearing nothing but a pink jacket and stockings. It wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't me. It wasn't me. So, yeah, not not good. Um, and that ultimately led to the very famous uh, scandal we all know of, if you know Lisa, Left Eye, which <laughs> took place one night in 1994 when Andre was out at the club. Lisa decided to give him a taste of his own medicine. So she went out with her girls looking hot as fuck and intentionally stayed out until five in the morning thinking that she would get home he'd be in bed she'd be walking in looking all fierce and he'd be super jealous being like dang what am i doing like i gotta stop fucking up my girl's like fire but that her, never she, works. Shows up at, <laughs> she shows up at 5 a.m and homeboy's not even home like <laughs> let's be real he's not even home yet <laughs> so she's all standing out in the front yard like where is this motherfucker at my whole game plan has been destroyed (laughs) like i fucking did my hair and makeup and got this outfit on for nothing like where is he at (laughs) so within minutes this fool's fucking rolling up into the garage and he like gets home and finds lisa like on the front yard just like posted up so it turns into a big old giant explosion she literally like slaps him across the face out in the front yard which unfortunately witnesses had to see which didn't help her later and then they made their way in the house literally got into like a full-blown domestic violence dispute um keep in mind she's like what five foot one 80 pounds this is like a full-blown grown adult male football athlete who is going to war with his like five foot tall 80 pound girlfriend when lisa woke up the next morning she looked in the mirror didn't even recognize herself she was like beaten to fucking shit she had so many black eyes her lip was like a hundred feet long it was almost split in half like it was not good and as any very <laughs> hungover, still drunk, logical woman would think, I'm going to go in the closet, round up all of his favorite shoes, and I'm going to put them in the bathtub, and I'm going to light them on fucking fire. Because this is what this motherfucker deserves. <laughs> so that's what she did. But the problem was that the fire spread throughout the rest of the mansion, and it basically (laughs) burned down the entire second floor of the entire home. So, it didn't really go according to plan. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just just imagining... (laughs) I'm just imagining doing that and being like, oh, 
Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! The progression. The progression of being like, oh yeah, I'm gonna show him. Oh, oh shit! This is right. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I have. I will be a hundred percent honest that I have absolutely in my lifetime woken up from like a really wasted like drunken fight and been like oh my god it's seven in the morning somehow i'm awake and i'm still blacked out but i'm so mad i am so mad about what happened yeah but you didn't have but you didn't have matches (laughs) (laughs) right that's so true that's so true wake up uh, with this like wily coyote with this like wily coyote match and be like huh. well and she also had like a bunch of lighter fluid just like under the bathroom sink which is also very strange um so who knows maybe she'd been potting it for a while but needless to say the house was gonna get burned down and she was the one to do it so um <laughs> Yeah, it burnt the fuck down, and she was sentenced to five years probation and therapy at a halfway house. So, the media obviously pegged Andre to be the victim of what had happened, and they made it out that Lisa was the crazy alcoholic psychopath that burned down his house, which wasn't entirely false, Um, But the narrative chose to ignore the fact that she had been, like, emotionally and psychologically abused by Andre for years prior to that event happening. So, listen, everybody gets pushed to their breaking point eventually. But if there's any kind of silver lining to this at all, it's the fact that Lisa ended up writing the rap lyrics to Waterfalls while she was in rehab after the house burned down. And the lyrics to that rap are based off of her actual, like, life experience during the time period while she was sitting in rehab. And Waterfalls, as we know, is, like, if not the number one or second best song of all of TLC's history. Don't go chasing waterfalls. So, after a long, lengthy break, the band got back together in 1999, and they produced their next album, which was called Fan Mail, and that sold over 14 million copies worldwide. But, during the recording of Fan Mail, shit started to hit the fan again between Lisa and her bandmates, which was, you won't ever hear this or read about this anywhere, because the media does not report on this, but the... The largest reason as to why her and her bandmates started to butt heads was largely due to the fact that once she got out of rehab, she was kind of a different person. Like, rehab helped her like a motherfucker. So when she got out, she was kind of, like, questioning, like, fuck, should I be a famous person in a band? If I am, is this all I can do for the rest of my life forever? What if I want to do other things? So she was just, like, really questioning a lot about her life path and, like, if she was on the right path, if it was right for her, blah, blah, blah. So that really ultimately led into her just, like, slowly but surely kind of, like, exiting step-by-step from the limelight of TLC. Um, Well, I feel like she would have... Sorry to cut you off. Do you feel like she would have been the 
Like, she was the one that, like, was she the Camille Cabello of... Was she the Beyonce of the group? Yes, she really was. And people thought of her as that way. She's, for the most part, everyone's favorite TLC band member. Like, she was the rapper of the group. She did most of the lyrics. She kind of created their image, that, like, really bright, spunky image. She created that, like, badass female empowerment vibe that they had. So, like, for the most part, she kind of just naturally created what TLC's remembered as, where, like, the other members, their largest contributions were, like, great vocals and dance moves, but, like, she kind of had, she was really the force behind, like, the image and the brand that ultimately was what created the fan base and all of their popularity. And so, with her exiting, I think it was somewhat of a threat to the other two of knowing that, like, shit, if she leaves, the band might end forever, But then them also kind of just being pissed, like, what the fuck's going on with you? Like, we were this huge force, and you're you're bailing, and, like, what's the deal? So it caused, like, a lot of controversy. And she ended up making a statement to a magazine that said, I've, quote, I've graduated from this era. I cannot stand 100% behind this TLC project and the music that is supposed to represent me. Which then prompted the other two bandmates to state, Lisa doesn't respect the whole group. Left Eye is only concerned with Left Eye. She's selfish, evil, and heartless. So a lot of this tension ultimately came from the fact that Lisa was very much against the song Creep, which I don't know if people know Mm. that, but she did not like the song. She did not want it to go out. And she even, like, threatened to wear black tape over her mouth in the music video because she wanted to take a stand on the fact that she didn't agree with the song lyrics and she was not okay with infidelity and she hated that it promoted women to cheat on their men. So she was, like, anti-against it and, like, that caused problems with the band and then Creep ended up being, like, one of the best songs ever. So it was just, like, a whole thing. Um... But that's also, so that's so that's so interesting because that song I feel like can be treated as such a female empowerment song but then if you also look at it from another angle it's the opposite that's so interesting until you had said that I had I would have never really thought about that that's interesting yeah so her point of view was like the song is basically about a dude cheating on his chick and then the song is telling the chick fuck the dude empower yourself cheat on him back and she basically stated that she didn't agree with that message and that they should have been promoting the message that like homeboy cheated on you fantastic walk the fuck away and move on and be a better person but like to then fight the fire with fire she was super against it and just was she was michelle obama she was Michelle Obama in that. She was like, when they go low, we go high. Yeah, yeah, that's what she, she was. She totally was. So I don't know if that had part of it, like, but that was just one element that contributed to like the drama between the band. Um, and then also at this exact same time where like all this tension's coming to light, she was... 
I don't know how she got into this, but she started, like, going to Honduras, like, crazy. Like, she was, like, making trips out there all the time. She had, like, gotten in touch with this, like, um, homeopathic doctor out there who was hardcore into, like, nutritional ideologies, cleanse fasting. He, like, preached numerology, astrology. He was, like, a big deal. And she went out there and fucking hunted his ass down in some village and just, like, chilled with this fool and i think it was largely as like a next step to the rehab that she'd experienced where she'd like gotten a lot of enlightenment and rehab and like it was kind of a therapeutic thing for her that she'd gone through and like she needed more after that and so she i don't know how she found this fool but she went out to honduras and she got like super hippied out and was like doing some crazy jungle shit with this doctor out in honduras and she was enlightened she was loving it she was feeling like the best she'd ever felt and so a part of her was kind of torn because she's like, fuck, I'm this famous musician in this super popular band, but, like, I also kind of want to, like, chill and, like, figure myself out. Like, I'm damaged as fuck. I'm trying to work out my shit. Like, I need more healing, but you can't really focus on your healing when you're this insanely popular fucking musician. So she was like, yeah. that was part of the reason why she was torn with TLC is she's like, I need to focus on me, but I'm also in this band. What the fuck do I do? So also while she was in Honduras, she started creating and building these educational centers for kids and ended up, I don't know if it ever ever happened or if she was working on it for years but she was like in the process of building this 80 acre adventure camp called yac i think it was called like young adventure camp and it was for all of these like underprivileged kids in honduras to have like a fun play zone that they could be in so she was all high fee and hyped out in honduras and <laughs> then the year 2000 <laughs> did you just say hyphy like- did you just say hyphy oh yeah okay uh-huh. Okay, by the way, that Hyphy was my life, uh, like, as a Northern California, <laughs> uh, even high schooler, like, for those who don't know, Hyphy was a genre of Northern California rap music that existed in the very early 2000s, in the early 2000s, that Melissa and I were, like, I was already <laughs> exposed to it, and then I'm sure you got a crash fucking chorus in it when you'd moved up from southern california oh yeah well for the record i say hyphy like daily i'm never retiring that word i think it's a phenomenal representation you know what i mean i'm like oh she got all hyphy and i know exactly what i'm talking about (laughs) i know but that's like like my mom saying groovy be like i'm not giving up that word i'm i'm solidarity with groovy i'm not giving up hyphy i say it constantly so in terms of people being hyphy as fuck just wait till i tell you what happened next so 2000 in the year 2000 lisa did not show up to a very important press conference for tlc and she like low-key pretended she'd gone missing she was like ghosted the conference no one knew where she was never heard from her again vanished but in reality, she was out in Honduras with her new boyfriend getting full-blown hyphy, and they were, no joke, 
playing what they called Tarzan and Jane in the jungle. And what I mean by this, which you can actually see yourself on video documentation in her documentary, she was full-blown naked in the jungle wearing nothing but a leaf bikini on her nipples and vagina, frolicking through the rivers, and her boyfriend was wearing a leaf thong, and he was roaring into the sky like Tarzan. So they were, like I said, getting hyphy in Honduras. <laughs> I'm gagged. I'm gagged. Like, like, okay, okay, but, okay, that's like pride. <laughs> it is absolutely like pride. Yup. Um, but, like, meanwhile, this is happening, the entire country thinks she's been, like, kidnapped and is, like, completely, like, a missing person, and it's a whole drama for, like, ever, and she's literally dancing through the forests of the jungle, like, playing Jane, and so eventually news got out that she was literally just, like, going nuts in the jungle, and when footage, like, released of her, like, alive and well, people were pissed, People were so mad. <laughs> People are buzzkills. Let her live her life. <laughs> <laughs> so after she got like a shit ton of backlash from her Tarzan and Jane escapades, she removed herself from the public eye for quite a while until she ended up releasing her debut solo album called Supernova. So <laughs> now I'm about to get into some crazy shit. Shit hits the fan. Wait, wait, now? <laughs> yeah. Now you're about to get into crazy No, I'm about shit? to get into some crazy shit. <laughs> well, this is like, that's the irony in the next portion of the story is like, this next portion of her story, she's like actively trying to get her life together and it somehow correlates with the ending of her life, which is what makes it so nuts. So, <laughs> it's just ironic and fucked up. It's horrible. It's horrible. So in March 2002, Lisa decides she needs to take a break from her life. So she heads back out to Honduras with her friends and family members for a 30-day retreat. And she decides to make a film about it. So her whole intent is that she wants to show the world who she really is up close and personal so that she can clear up any negative misconceptions due to any prior mistakes she's made in her life. So she literally like goes out on one of those old school camcorders and is like some guy or even her or her sister is just like constantly filming their day-to-day interaction in Honduras. So you they start with like day 1 and they're supposed to film from day 1 to day 30. Raw footage totally organic nothing staged she has no makeup on she's just like in like a sports bra and like a shawl no makeup hair not done like it's just super organic raw lisa left eye and so they're out here filming day by day she's like doing yoga sessions she's participating in her weird herbal cleanses she's swimming in waterfalls she's singing and dancing with the locals and then there's a ton of like individual video footage of her reminiscing on her childhood talking about her family talking about all the issues with tlc her drama with andre burning down the house and then just like various memories throughout her life so it's very very vulnerable of her to like be touching on all these elements but also i think it's like the truth that she always wanted to get out about who she really is like deep down as just an individual and not lisa left eye lopez from tlc 
So all was well in Honduras for a total of 26 days out of the 30 days. Um, until the last couple weeks of the retreat, she started to tell her friends and family that she was having, like, weird, scary dreams and premonitions. And she literally felt like there was a spirit that was, like, following her and haunting her around the jungle. So she started to become, like, paranoid, a little bit consumed with fear, and she honestly thought that she was being, like, sent signs from the universe that, like, she was going to be dying soon. So shortly later, her fears came to truth when she was a passenger in a car accident that resulted in the death of a 10-year-old Honduran boy. So his name was Bayron Iswal Fuentes Lopez, and he was walking behind his brother and sisters when he stepped off the median strip in the road and was hit by their van that was driven by Lisa's personal assistant. So they pulled over, they stopped, they got the boy, brought him into the van. Lisa was like cradling his bleeding head in her lap while somebody was giving him mouth to mouth and they rushed to a nearby hospital and ultimately he experienced brain trauma and he ended up dying the next day. Really Mm. fucked up. Not good. Um, So Lisa ended up obviously paying for everything from medical medical expenses to funeral arrangements to just like giving the family money just like here's money like i don't even know what to do you know and super sad it ended up being agreed upon by the authorities and the boy's family that his death was an unforeseeable tragedy and nobody could be blamed for what happened I don't know if that's because they just paid a shit ton of money and it was, like, rugged under the rug or what happened, but no one was held accountable for that kid dying. Um, And obviously, Lisa and all of her friends and family that were there and experienced it were completely mortified by what happened, but Lisa especially was struck not only by the fact that the boy shared, like, basically the exact same last name that she had, So she's Lopez with an S, and he was Lopez with a Z. But she started to wonder if, like, the spirit that she was feeling was following her around had mistakenly gotten the wrong person, and it was, they took the kid instead of her. So homegirl's, like, full-blown tripping at this point. And no less than two weeks later, on April 25th, 2002, Lisa was driving an SUV. That's the day before my birthday. Ooh. I'm I'm April twenty sixth. Well, <laughs> happy thirteenth birthday, balls! <laughs> I have bad news to tell you about this date. Um. So yeah, she was driving an SUV, literally jam packed with like eight people in it. Her friends, her family. No one was in a fucking seat. No one had seatbelts on. There was like a hundred people in the car, and. Lisa's the one driving. So she was driving down the road. She swerves slightly because there's like a truck coming who like kind of comes in her lane a little bit. So she's like swerved to get around him. And then immediately she has to like take another like extremely drastic swerve because she was about to hit an oncoming car. And so that basically threw the vehicle off the road. It rolled several times. It hit two trees. And Lisa and three others were like thrown out of the window 
And of course, Lisa was the only person that was fatally injured in the accident. She was 30 years old and she died instantly from cranium fracture and open cerebral trauma. The worst part is that the cameraman was in the front seat and videotaped the entire thing. So you can literally watch all of the minutes and seconds that led up before the crash took place. You can see it happen. You can see all the people in the car. You can see her driving. You can see her swerve. You can hear the tires screech. You can watch her go straight into a tree. And then the video shuts off. And all of this is in her documentary. The craziest part, as I'd already mentioned, there were like, what, eight people in this like van? They were packed in like sardines. Half of them weren't even in seats. She was the only one that died. No one else died. And there were like, the car was packed with people, not in seatbelts, not even in seats, and she died. So, I don't know what the fuck that means, but seems kind of eerie, especially following the fact that she was having all these strange premonitions about her upcoming death. Very weird. So... Like, that's so awful. Like, of course course you don't want to wish death on anyone else who was in that car. But, like... But that, no, but that just, that does make it more tragic. Well, it's also eerie in that, like, no, everyone in that car should have died, and they didn't. And, like, it's weird that she had been having these weird, like, thoughts that she was going to be dying and whatever, and, like, literally just her died. It's just super strange and ironic. And it, it, it didn't actually make sense. It's like... I don't know how all these other people survived this crash. You can see pictures of the car. It's like smashed it like a pancake. It's fucking strange. So her funeral was held in Georgia on May 2nd, 2002, and thousands of people attended. The lyrics to her portion of Waterfalls was engraved on her casket, and it read, Dreams are hopeless aspirations. In hopes of coming true, believe in yourself. The rest is up to me and you. And in 2003, shortly after her death, her family started the Lisa Lopez Foundation, which was a charitable group uh, dedicated to providing neglected and abandoned youth with the resources necessary to increase their quality of life. So her foundation went to various underdeveloped villages in Honduras and gave new clothes to the poor children and the families. And then in 2007, the foundation hosted a charity auction selling items donated by celebrities, and it raised $5,000 for an orphanage in Honduras. And then in 2012, they began hosting an annual festival known as Left Eye Music Fest, which took place in Georgia. Um, But in case you and any of the listeners are wondering, Lisa's home videotapes from her 30-day Honduras retreat... Um, which unfortunately only lasted 26 days because of her death, were literally taken and placed into a documentary, which is called The Last Days of Left Eye, which you can find on YouTube. And I highly advise people to watch it because I feel like it shows a totally different side to this woman. Like, she's just so 
young and innocent and like so many of the clips are of her just like talking about her youth and her lifestyle and she does it in such a naive like forgiving way where you're just watching her talk about her life and I don't know if a large part of this is due to the fact that obviously I know she's now dead and died too young and tragically but when you watch somebody like who was still alive at the time when they're talking about themselves now knowing that they're since gone you're just like holy shit like this girl was a good person and she wanted to be a better person and she intended to go out on this retreat to get healing and she wanted to create this film so that people would know she's not this crazy girl that burnt down a house and had all these drunken you know arrests and was just like caused the band to break up and like she literally made a point to kind of like regain her reputation by showing like her honest true self and then it then then it was over and it's just like fucking crazy (laughs) so nuts um but really 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 good highly advise watching it and i feel like the only other things i wanted to say about lisa left eye is that like i myself am like a massive therapy advocate i have had to go to like years of therapy in my life but didn't really take it seriously until i decided to do it on my own when i was in my mid late 20s um and it was the greatest thing i've gift i've ever given myself and i feel like coming out of that experience i like had this new appreciation for me as a human being and then like was able to make sense of all these mistakes i had made in the past and then like kind of like think about like who do i want to be in the future and it really kind of paved this new path for myself and so i feel like that's like exactly what happened to lisa left eye where like whether she wanted it or not burning down that house like forced her into this rehab therapy environment which like made her face her demons which only pushed her towards like a more positive future for herself in terms of her mental health and her well-being and she like very much valued that and she got to a place where she like aspired to be the best version of herself and like even if that meant sacrificing her fame and her money and her band like she was willing to put her own self first to be a good person and then this is what happened. It's like fucked. It's so fucked up. Anyway, I just think she's fucking kick ass. And I feel it's like so good. people do kind of think of her as like a crazy chick. And, you know, I think the biggest message for me is that like people that are kind of wild and crazy usually are that way for a reason. And it took her to kind of like dig through her past and like open up those old wounds to kind of make sense of how she developed the way she did. And once she made sense of it, she was super, super proactive in kind of changing that course and making sure that the future went much more, you know, seamlessly than the past had gone. So whether she died young or not, I think she left the earth like really in a good place in herself. And I hope that she is able to kind of like continue her life legacy with that incorporated in her story, not just like crazy chick from TLC with the fucking band-aid and went nuts and blah blah blah. Like I I hope that part of this message in her life can kind of latch on so people can see that side of her that was vulnerable and sought help and was a better person at the end of it. Well, I can just say that, like, even for me, like, it does kind of, you know, put things into perspective in that she, 
you know, she was a complicated figure. She was a strong bitch, and she went through some shit, but she overcame it. So, I think she's awesome, and um, seriously, watch the fucking documentary. It's so I'm good, going to, and, and it's, it's on, really like just on wild. YouTube? Yeah, it's on YouTube, it's right there, click play, it's on, it's fucking great. So, props to Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Again, not sure if you know much about astrology, but you can take a stab at her sign if you think you might know it. Um, okay, so I don't know that much about signs. Um, okay, but I'm, I know, like, Sagittarius's are, like, people I should never date because they're not in the commitment. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say a Taurus. I'm gonna say a Taurus. Well, you're very close. She's not a Taurus, but turns out she's right there with your girl, Joan Rivers, and she is a Gemini. (laughs) Now we just, now do we have any women of the week? I know you you might, you might not. I think I kind of do. I don't really have a women of the week. I mean, Um, I have a woman. I mean, I kind of have a woman of the week if I can share it. Yeah. Um, of course, you're going to share it. So, um, I don't know how many of your listeners are in the Sacramento area, but my mom... It, so, my mom... Like, I could start a whole podcast about my mom, but she would hate it. Um, especially because <laughs> of the jokes I would make. But I... So, my mom owns a flower shop near Sacramento in Folsom. My mom's business survived the recession, like, when we were in school and everything. Like, my mom is a small business, and, like, they're, you know, very fortunate that they are considered an essential business. And I will say, like, receiving flower, like, my friend just sent me, even the son of a florist, like, my friend sent me succulents uh, on my birthday, and, like, it was just such a, you know, like, treat. So I, I, if you're in, if you have friends, family in the Sacramento area, I, the Blossom Shop uh, is what you should is where you should order. The website is blossomshopoffolsom.com. It's a woman-owned, operated business. Um, it's, Love it. Uh, yeah. Do they have an Instagram? They do not, but they are on Facebook because. Okay. Baby, baby, okay, boomer. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. Well, I don't really have a specific woman of the week, but I did come across a really cool Instagram handle that I am loving, and it's called Girls Making Magic, and Ooh. it's basically like a curated Instagram page of like any female artist that wants to submit. They get their like artwork posted on this page. And it is fire. Like, I, I can't even begin to tell you, like, the insane amount of, like, beautiful work that is put on this Instagram page. Every day I'm, like, scrolling through here and looking at it and I'm just like, holy shit, not only do I want prints of this in my house, but, like, I kind of want to, like, repost every single picture that I'm looking at. So, obviously, every single image on this account is a different artist, but they're all mm-hmm. tagged and you can find them all. 
Um, but I love it. In fact, I literally just sent this to one of my artist friends and it was like, fool, you need to be sending your shit to this account because it's huge visibility. Like I can only imagine like what kind of traction you could get as an artist, like being featured on this page. Um, but it's gorgeous. So I just love anything that, you know, is helping bring smaller scale artists to light, whether that's podcasters, comedians, you know, graphic artists, hand painting, you know, drawing, whatever the fuck it is. Like, I love it. So, Girls Making Magic, check them out. They're super fucking cool. Um, And you're gonna like it if you like fucking art and you like women. All right. Well, this is it, Paul. We did it. We made it. We did it. This was so much fun. We had, this was so much we fun. We had a 45-minute intro, but you know what? It shit happens. <laughs> I know. I hope people I hope people listen to the whole thing. Um but no, I had a I had a fucking blast as like you can tell. And I hope none of your listeners got sick of my voice cuz I know I talked a lot. But, no, it was perfect. You did a fucking great it, job. But if you want to hear more of me, you can follow me on at Paul D. Jordan on Instagram. That's not that exciting yet. But thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I I do just want to say, like, what... Duh. Like, having these podcasts that are women empower, especially right now with all, like, I... I have still not fully recovered. I practically had Hillary Clinton tattooed on my back since I, she was the first vote I ever cast in 2008. Like, I have not recovered, I will be honest, from the 2016 election. And, like, I think women sticking with other women and men, gay, straight, whatever on the spectrum, like, you need to be supporting women because it's just it's so important and it's such an everyday thing that's looked over and that people think like when like i don't know if you've started watching mrs america but it's the show on hulu that you should about phyllis schlafly and you just look at the way that even women have treated other women in the past and it's just so unacceptable and that like what you are doing by empowering women like melissa is so needed not only so needed but it's just so important and this is not the all the wine that i've had like this is stuff i like i even started talking about this with you before we even started recording tonight (laughs) um but it is it is just so important and like and any men that are listening like it is your responsibility to also be an advocate like it is 100% your responsibility to be an advocate. If you love your mother, if you are a decent human being, you need to be... Unfortunately, there are voices that are... There are people that are... There are ears that are only going to listen to your voice, and which is disgusting. And But at the same time, you need to be that voice for those ears to listen to. Sorry, that was Fuck. a tangent. Yes. <laughs> No, I love it. (laughs) Keep them coming. Thank you so much, not only for being my host, but for saying all these really sweet words. It's seriously touching. I lightweight want to cry a little bit, but I'm just keeping myself strong. (laughs) (laughs) But um, you fucking kicked ass, and it was an awesome episode. I'm so happy you covered a comedian, especially somebody as awesome as Joan Rivers um we did you did a great job so thank you so much and i'm very very happy to have you thank you so much for having me 
I appreciate it. All right. Well, let's say goodbye to bye to our listeners. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye. Goodbye. We goodbye. We'll be back for episode forty-two. Adios.